Again, let me just say welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah, and we want to continue to worship the Lord now through the study of His Word. So grab your Bibles with us and go ahead and open them up to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you're here. And as Chris said earlier, if we can help you or serve you in any way, please let us know. We would love to do that. Uh, for those of you worshiping with us online, we're glad you're joining us as well. Hope that you have all that you need, but if you need anything, put that in the comments there and we'll try to, to respond as well. So we have been um, starting into this new series in the new book of Nehemiah. Uh, taking new ground for God's glory is what we're looking at here and trying to understand and look at Nehemiah's example on how we do that um, in a way that honors the Lord. Today we're going to look at how we do that in the word of perseverance taking ground through persevering today. And so, um, you know, Courtney and I, I think we have found throughout the years now, our kids are getting a little bit older, that parenting is a constant process of taking new ground. <laughs> because there's always a new day, there's a new age, there's a new challenge, there's a new opposition, there's always something evolving in this process. And so, um, most recently, we became aware that um, many of the games that our girls were playing on our iPads had ads in them, um, some of which were inappropriate for them and were not something that they should be seen. And so um, we, had to, we had a decision to make. Like, what are we going to do about this? And so it kind of came down to three choices. This is just another example of how easy it is for the culture to press against us and press against Christianity in ways that we don't even think about sometimes. But we said, all right, we got a decision to make here. And and so we say, either A, we can relent and let the culture call the shots on what's appropriate for our kids. B, we can withdraw completely, burn the iPads, throw away the computers, get rid of cable, everybody in their rooms, never come out again. Or C, we can continue to persevere in the calling that God's given us to faithfully raise these girls in a way that honors him but also interacts with the culture and the technology that's not going away. And how do we do that responsibly and faithfully and respectfully to the Lord? So that meant we ended up sitting down on a Saturday for like four or five hours going through every single app on the devices, which ones have ads, which ones don't, deleting the ones that do, or buying the ad-free version so they have something to play with, and doing the hard work of persevering in that so that they can continue uh, to have what they need um, and, and be safe in that way. And Surrender and retreat, they're just not options sometimes. Those aren't options that we have with the Lord as Christians. We have to persevere because the Lord has called us to this, to this work. He's called us to parent like this. Um, he's called us to godly marriages. He's called us to be uh, an example of Christ in our businesses. He's called us to live out our faith at school. These are things that he has called us to, and so we only have one choice, and that is to continue to persevere, but the key is that we persevere correctly. We persevere biblically. So we're going to look at today what that means and what it doesn't mean, and hopefully this will be helpful to you, because one thing I've learned about perseverance as a Christian is we can't do it alone. So we need the Lord. We need each other. Nehemiah is going to show us that today in chapter 4. It says, when new ground brings new opposition, go to God first and the work second. This is the lesson today on biblical perseverance. When new ground brings new opposition, which it always does, by the way, 
Go to the Lord first, go to God first, and the work second. So with that in mind, let's take a look here. Our story continues now in chapter 4, picking up where we stopped last week. It says, now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, his friend, chimes in. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Then we see Nehemiah's response in verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. The first thing I want you to see about biblical perseverance here is this. Number one, we have to pray for the power of God. Biblical perseverance starts when we pray for the power of God to work in our lives, in our ministries, in our families. So look at verse 1 there again. It starts off with Sanballat. We've heard about this guy already, right? He's the troublemaker. He's the one that's going to be a thorn in Nehemiah's side this whole book, or most of the book at least. And it says that he was angry. He was greatly enraged. Why? Because the Jews are making progress, right? The walls are starting to go up. The project is moving forward. And it says that he starts to jeer at them. He starts to talk specifically here, it says, to the army of Samaria. So, again, just the fact that he has an, a, 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 a reception, a, uh, he has a, a voice with the army of Samaria points to his power, his position, his, his control in this area. And so he says to his audience, he says, look at these feeble Jews. That was actually kind of a common um, title or, or description, if you will, of the Jews because uh, as the Old Testament tells us, they were small in number. They were one of the smallest nations. They were the, seen as one of the weakest nations oftentimes. He says, look at these feeble, small, weak Jews. They can't possibly build these walls. What are they going to do? Are they, are they going to sacrifice? And he's kind of pointing there, and he's, he's jabbing at their worship. He's like, are they going to pray the walls up? <laughs> are they going to worship the walls up? Because they certainly can't do it with a hammer, right? Like, these guys cannot handle this kind of work. Will they finish up in a day? This project is huge. It's going to take them forever. They're never going to finish this. He just goes on and on. And then Tobiah, his friend, chimes in. I, I don't know if you guys ever do this when you read the Bible, but I get like, I kind of like try to visualize the story so I can like get a better picture. And the, Tobiah's like the mouthy tag-along friend, you know? So like when I was reading this, I was thinking, all I could think about was, was, was Beauty and the Beast. We watch a lot of princess movies at our house, and so I don't know if you've ever seen Beauty and the Beast, but there's these two guys. There's, you know, Gaston and LeFou, and Gaston's the big, mouthy, always-in-your-face kind of guy, and LeFou's like the tag-along, mouthy guy. This is Sanballat and Tobiah right here. This is what I see when I read Nehemiah. All right, Sanballat, he's, he's going off to the army, and Tobiah's like, oh, yeah, by the way, if a fox goes up on it, it's going to fall down. What? <laughs> Archaeologists have actually found these walls, and they were probably about nine feet thick. They weren't building some feeble walls. They were building some serious walls here. These guys are just being mouthy. They're just trying to, to get under their skin. They're just trying to discourage them and attack them. 
They're cha- trying to challenge their credibility. Right? These Jews, they'll never do this. They'll never build this wall. Are you kidding me? So Nehemiah, I guess, hears about this. Somehow it gets back to them. And his first response, look at what he says. He says, hear, O God. He doesn't make a comment back. He doesn't send a letter. He doesn't try to one-up them. He just prays. He goes straight to prayer. He says, turn back their taunts and give them up to their enemies. In other words, defend us against their attacks, Lord. Right? Protect us from what they're calling out, what they're trying to do here. They've provoked you in your anger. They've provoked you in your building. Defend your workers and defend your work. Now, when you first read this prayer for us as Christians, it can kind of be a little hard to swallow because it, it, it seems kind of harsh, right? It seems kind of unloving. It seems kind of unchristian even. <laughs> like, can you pray that? Can you, can you pray that about somebody? But when we dig deeper into Nehemiah's prayer, really what Nehemiah is doing here is he's simply praying back to God his character. He's praying the character of God. He's saying, God, bring divine justice here. Defend us. He's not praying for their eternal damnation. He's not praying against their souls. He's just saying, listen, they're trying to stop your work. They're trying to attack us. Like, bring divine justice and and deal with these guys. He's praying for protection. He's not praying for personal vengeance. He's not like, give me their head on a platter, God. Like, he's not, he's praying for protection for God's people and for God's work, and he's praying that God's power would show up. But even more than what, what he's praying, I just want you to notice that that's the f- first thing he did. Right? Prayer was Nehemiah's primary weapon, not his last resort against the attacks. Man, how often do we flip that? Right? How often do we do everything else, and then when we're out of options, I guess we ought to pray about it. Nehemiah prays first. There's a famous Christian author who um, was um, helped during the Holocaust help Jews escape from um, from you know the Germans and and from captivity and so forth and being hunted. Cory Ten Boom, you've probably heard of her before, but she has this great quote on prayer. She says this: "She says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire?" I mean, what great imagery right there, right? Is prayer the thing that you use every moment to steer your life and to lead you forward? Or is prayer the thing you have to do when you're in the ditch and you can't figure out what to do next? For Nehemiah, it was a steering wheel. It was the first thing that he did. Here at Harvest, we have a pillar on prayer. We say that we believe firmly in the power of prayer. And if that's true, if we firmly believe in the power of prayer, then that should be the first thing we run to anytime God is calling us to a new work, anytime there's opposition, anytime there's struggle. Prayer should be our first move, not our last. So Nehemiah prays, and then I love this in verse 6. It says, so we built the wall. Such a small little word. S-O, so. But that word's so key here because it connects what Nehemiah is saying to what just happened. We were able to build the wall because first we prayed and God did a work. 
says, so we built the wall because the people had a mind to work. God came and supernaturally moved in their hearts and moved in their minds and put them to the work. His power came and filled them so that they could get the job done. And we're going to see here in another chapter or two how miraculously they get the job done. Because God's moving in response to Nehemiah's prayer. So, for many of us with, you know, school-age children, the start of this school year has been completely different than anything we've experienced before. Our kids started 100% online, virtual, everything. Um, they've just started kind of going back to school a couple days a week in the, uh, in the last week or two here. Hallelujah. Um, but for those parents who have been dealing with this, it's a little extra stress, it's a little extra work, it's a little bit more on the parents. They have to manage the schedules, they have to manage the, the technology when it doesn't work, extra school assistance at home and all this kind of stuff going on. And um, I mean, just, just trying to keep track of all the different Google Meet codes for all the teachers is like a full-time job. It's like a spreadsheet just so my kid can go to school. But what I've noticed is now that our girls have been home and they're needing assistance with things, I found that the, when something gets hard, when there's something that's difficult, they don't know how to do, or it's a little bit maybe beyond what they've done before, their first reaction when th- something gets too hard is to come and ask for help, right? Mommy, can you help me with this? Daddy, can you help me with this? And what they're really asking is, Mommy, will you do this for me? <laughs> but like, no, that's not the way this works. When something hard comes first, you have to do it. You have to try. You have to put your best effort forward. I want you to go 100%, and if you still can't figure it out, then you come and ask for help. So I'm trying to drill this into them over again. You've got to try. You've got to do your best. You've got to give it. And I think that mentality, that idea of perseverance is the natural human American form of perseverance, right? In our minds, perseverance means I do everything I can possibly do first, and then I use go and ask for help as a last resort. That's the way we think about perseverance. But God sees it differently. In fact, I would say that I think God sees it the exact opposite of that. Biblical perseverance isn't, I do everything I can possibly do first, and then I go and ask God for help. Biblical perseverance is first, I go to God, and I say, God, you've got to help me with this. And then God fills me with his power to go forth and persevere in the work that he's given me to do. We've got to flip it. We have to understand perseverance differently, because when we go for the first version, guess what that leads to? That leads to tired, sad, burnt out, exhausted Christians. Or we're just plugging away day after day, going for the Lord. But we've missed that starting point. We've missed that prayer element that gets us the power we need to do the work that he's called us to do. You see, prayer is not a tag-on. It's not a bonus. It's not a little helpmate that we use when things get too difficult. Prayer is not powerless without action. In the kingdom of God, prayer isn't the fallback to action. Prayer is action. Sometimes we think, oh, all I can do is pray. That's the best thing you can do. That's the biggest action you can take in the kingdom of God. Pray for your hurting marriage. Pray for your struggling child. 
pray that God would show up in that financial need that you have and give you the provision. Pray that God would bring healing. Pray for God to take new ground in your life. That is the best, first, and most important thing you can do. When opposition comes, make prayer my primary weapon, not my last resort. When opposition comes, make prayer my primary weapon, not my last resort. So Nehemiah's first step in perseverance is to pray, but he takes some other steps here as the story goes on. Take a look at verse 7. It says, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with swords, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Point number two, perseverance also means to prepare to stand with the people of God. Prepare to stand with the people of God. So at the top of this section, we see Sanballat again. But then we see all these other guys. So let me just try to give you some geographical context here, right? So Sanballat is from Samaria. That's his crew. That's north of Jerusalem. Then you have Tobiah and the Ammonites who were in east of Jerusalem. You have Geshem. We heard about him last time. Geshem and the Arabs live south of Jerusalem. And now we've added a fourth group, the Ashdodites, who are west of Jerusalem. So now they are literally, totally, and fully surrounded by this group of people who are angry at them and want to attack them and are now plotting together to form an alliance so they can stop little tiny Jerusalem from doing the work of the Lord. It says they want to fight, they want to confuse, they want to kill even. They're not just questioning their credibility anymore. Now they're threatening their safety. It's elevating past words into this threat of physical violence. So again, Nehemiah responds, says, we prayed to our God and set a guard. So he's going a step further now. He's praying still, pray first, but we have to pray and prepare. It says that they did this day and night. They didn't flee They didn't give up on the work. They didn't stop. They stood with the Lord and they persevered both in prayer and in preparation. But even while they're starting to prepare, 
they start, some of the Jews in Jerusalem, Judah, they start to get discouraged. They're like, man, this is, this is too much. Our strength is failing. There's too much rubble. There's too much work. I don't think we can do all that. They started to doubt. They started to waver. They said, by ourselves, we are not able. You know what? They were right. (laughs) By ourselves, we are not able to do this. They couldn't do it by themselves. They weren't strong enough. Their relatives that lived in the cities and their friends that lived in the the towns outside Jerusalem, they started saying, stop, give up, retreat, come back to us, come live with us. It's too dangerous there. They're going to attack you. They're going to kill you. Everything is telling them, no, no, stop, just just retreat. But Nehemiah, man of God, man of faith, holds the line. He says, no, no, no. He says, so I stationed them in the lowest parts of, of the wall by their clans, which we'll get to that in a second. So obviously, just the visual here is simple. The lowest parts of the wall, the parts that are least built back up, right? It's the the parts that that are most vulnerable, that are the weakest, that are the easiest ones to get through, and it's obviously the first place that the enemy is going to attack, right? Because that's the place where they can get to them the quickest and the easiest, the low parts of the wall. And I see here that this is similar to what we deal with spiritually when it comes to Satan. When Satan wants to attack you, he doesn't go where you're strongest. He goes where you're weakest. He goes for the low parts in your wall. Right? And he knows the places that are where the weakest. He knows the places where we're most vulnerable to temptation, we're most vulnerable to sin. We're most likely to fall. And he attacks there first. So Nehemiah says, I stationed the clans. Clans were basically the families, right? So if I'm fighting with my family, I'm going to fight probably harder because I've got my loved ones next to me and I want to make sure that they're protected as well. And so he puts the families together. He puts them in the lowest parts of the wall. He gives them swords and spears and bows. He gives them weapons because if you're going to fight a war, you need some weapons. And if we're going to fight and stand against the spiritual attacks of the enemy in our lives, in our church, we have to have some weapons, some spiritual weapons. We need the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and that's from day one. But there are so many times that we fail to to tap into and to allow his power to work in our lives because we are not walking in the Spirit. So we need to to relinquish control. We We need to submit ourselves so that he can fight for us and through us. We need weapons like the Word of God. Paul says is the sword of the Spirit, right? We need, we need God's Word to refute the lies of the enemy. We need the truth that is forever and ever. We need prayer. Where we're connecting into the power of God and we're submitting and we're bringing ourselves under who He is. We need our spiritual family. We need our clan to pull together and to stand with us in the lowest parts because we can't do it on our own. 
because we're stronger together. But most of all, we need what Paul calls the gospel of righteousness. You can't get to any of those other weapons until you get this one. Until you come to the understanding that you have low places in your wall that you can't defend. Not on your own. They said it right there. By ourselves, we can't do this. Every one of us are sinners by nature. We have sins and struggles. We are tempted. We fall. We fail. We rebel against God. We have low parts of our wall that are susceptible to attack. And Satan knows that, and he loves to come after those things, and we just stand there helpless because we can't defend ourselves. And God knew that, and so he sent one who could. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to be born as a human and to live a perfect and sinless life, to be perfectly righteous, never failing, never falling. Jesus had no low parts of his wall. Always strong, always standing. And he lived that life, and then he went to the cross, and he died a sinner's death. He went in our place. He took the punishment and the wrath and the death that should have been mine, and he put it on himself, and he died for me, and he died for you, and he went into the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to offer us forgiveness from sin, to offer us the righteousness that he had earned so that he could shore up the low parts in our wall and that we could stand forgiven and clean before a perfect and holy God. The only way you get that righteousness, the only way you get that weapon is to turn from sin and put your faith alone in Jesus Christ. I hope you've done that. Because you need it. We all need it. So then Nehemiah positions them at the low parts and he tells them, he says, don't be afraid. Because you know what they were? They were afraid, right? They were freaking out. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. He says, we don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the strength of our Lord. We can't do it by ourselves, but we can do it with him. He says, remember the Lord and fight for your loved ones. I love that he tags that on, right? Fight for one another. It's not just about you. It's about all of us together following the Lord. And we need to lock arms. We need to stand together as family and fight for one another. Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We all have low parts in our wall. We all have certain areas where we're weaker, where we're more vulnerable to temptation and sin. And if you're not sure what your low parts in your wall is, I'll give you a really easy test. Think back over the last month. Whatever it is that you had to confess the most or ask forgiveness for the most, that's the low part in your wall. Okay? 
whatever it is that is you most struggle with on a daily, weekly, ongoing basis. And Satan knows exactly where those low points are. And so when we as Christians, when we as a church, when we start to step out in faith, when we start to follow the Lord and try to take new ground for him, that's the first place he's going to attack. So just know that. Just be ready for that. It's, listen, guys, it's, it's no coincidence that the day or week before you're supposed to start that new small group or start serving in that new position at church, that you have a horrible week. <laughs> That's not coincidence. Satan knows your low points, and he comes after them when you start taking new steps with God. It's no coincidence that when you start changing your sinful habits and when you start working to heal your relationships, that all of a sudden you feel this stronger pull back to those old sinful ways. It's not a coincidence that when you finally commit, I'm going to do it, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to be in the Word, I got my reading plan, I'm ready to go, me and you, God, every day, and then 10,000 things come up that demand your time and attention. These aren't coincidences. These are the enemy fighting against us as we're trying to take new ground with the Lord for his glory and for our good. He knows our low points. And the reason these tactics work is because he knows he, we can't defeat him alone. So if we're trying to stand in the wall, if we're trying to stand in that low part by ourselves, he's going to win every time. We need God's power and we need God's people to stand with us in the low parts of the wall. You get God's power through prayer. We talked about that in point number one. You get God's people through his church. This is why we do this every week. We come and we worship and we praise and we pray and we read and we study because we need to be built up with the people of God. This is the reason we do small groups every week because we need people who are locking arms with us and praying with us and standing with us against the attacks of the evil one. When we're all connected to God and to each other, there is nothing that can defeat us. You understand that? That we are a force to be reckoned with when we have the power of God and the people of God locked together and moving forward in his name. Don't let the size fool you. <laughs> Don't let the numbers fool you. I know that our world and our nation and our culture, we seem like such a small minority that it feels helpless sometimes. And by ourselves, we can't do it. But in the power of God and the people of God, we can take new ground every time. When opposition comes, I make my stand in the power of God with the people of God. So Nehemiah, He's teaching us here about perseverance. First, we pray for the power of God. Secondly, we prepare with the people of God. And there's one more thing, super important. Look at verse 15. We'll keep reading. When our enemies heard that it was known to us 
and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Number three, persevere under the protection of God. So it starts off and it says that God frustrated their plan. So somehow, let's all go back to Nehemiah. He stationed the people. They found out, okay, man, we're not going to get the jump on them. We're not going to have the surprise attack anymore. So now they're not willing to risk it. They're not willing to come and fight anymore. God had given them up. He stopped their plan. And so once they find out they're not coming, it says we all return to the wall, each to his work. But notice now, even though they're going back to the work, the work's different. It doesn't look like what it used to look like. Because the threat of attack has now rocked their security. They, know, they now know what the enemy is and where they're at and what they're like. And they can't go around anymore with their head in the sand. So now they have to work, but they have to work differently. It says half worked on construction while half held the spears. That some of them labored on the work with one hand and held the weapon with the other. So, right, that's the whole sword and trowel analogy, right? Like, so I'm over here doing the brick thing, and I got my sword in my other hand ready to go at all times. Stay alert, but keep working. It's a both and. Be on guard and be ready, but don't stop the work. He says, let every man pass the night in Jerusalem. So even at night, even when we're taking a break, we're not off guard, right? We're still here. We're still protecting the city. We're always alert of the enemy. He says, none of us took off our clothes. They slept in their clothes. There's an old saying in the military, sleep with your boots on. Meaning, be ready at a moment's notice to go. Like right now, jump up, time to fight. Always, always alert. He even says, where you hear the trumpet, rally to us there. So they got a game plan. Like, if, if, we, if anybody sees them, we're going to sound the trumpet so everybody knows, and we're going to fight this thing together. Don't go charging off by yourself. Keep going, and be ready. And he says here, because our God will fight for us. He just keeps reminding them over and over and over. Listen, guys, we got work to do, and we're going to keep going. We're going to keep persevering, 
but we're doing this because our God is with us. Our God will fight for us. We're not in this alone. God's work never lacks God's power. We can be assured that if we are following the Lord, if we are walking in what he's called us to do, if we're on the mission, his power will always be with us. We can't do it by by ourselves, but we can do it with God working through us. I was studying this week, and I brought to mind when I was reading this passage, Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Our greatest work, our greatest effort, our greatest perseverance as Christians is in vain without the Lord. If we don't have him first, if we're not tied into his power and his mission and his work, everything we do, everything we try, everything we put forward is in vain. Let's tell you, to be honest, guys, there is nothing more frustrating to me, Mr. Type A, get it done, go, 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 than doing something only to turn around and find out what I just did was in vain. Like, I literally want to pull my hair out when that happens. I just, I just don't. I don't want to be doing busy church stuff and work and this thing for that project at the school or at work or for the neighborhood, only to see it all burn up in vain. I want to know that I'm tapped into the power of God on the mission of God, so that he is doing it through me. That's the perseverance that we need. Our God will build. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He will build his kingdom. He will build his church. He will always be building for his glory. And we can be a part of it if we will persevere in him and not in ourselves. When I look back on the humble beginnings of this church and core group and process, this is exactly what we experienced. You know, when Courtney and I came, we started with zero. We started building the, the, the vision and the core group. And, and we got to 25 or 30 fairly quickly, fairly easily. And then it just, like, stalled out. Like, we would gain a few and lose a few and gain a few, and we just kind of hovered at like 30, 35 for months and months and months and months. And I don't know if you know this about church planting, but statistically what we know is that the majority of church plants, if they don't get off the ground, if they don't get launched in the first six to nine months, they don't make it. They just don't. We went on in core group at 25 or 30 people for almost two years (laughs) before we got to 50 people. Like, how did that happen? It's because we had a core of 25 or 30 people who were faithfully believing that God was building something great. And they were on their knees 
our basement praying and fasting and believing that God was going to do it if we would just keep going. And now we're all here today getting to reap the benefits of God's glory and grace because of a faithful group that persevered and prayed and went before the Lord crying out, God, you've got to do this because we can't do it by ourselves. And God's not done building harvest. Man, this last three years have been amazing. But he has so much more ahead. He has so much more that he wants to do for his name and for his glory and for his kingdom. But it means that we, the church, keep praying and persevering and walking with the Lord in great sacrifice so that he can do what he wants to do in us and through us. First Thessalonians 5.24. I've used this verse from the first days of our core group. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the reason we pray. This is the reason we persevere. Not because of us, but because of him. He is faithful. He will do it. He will build. He will build his kingdom. He will build his church for his glory. And we can be a part of that if we pray, if we persevere. When opposition comes, I persevere because I know God is protecting me. So perseverance biblically looks different. It looks like this. When new ground brings new opposition, go to God first and the work second. Don't get that order mixed up. Don't let the busyness of our culture convince you that you have to get to work first and then seek help later. Let's go to God first. Let's pray and let's ask him to do what only he can do. And then we'll join our little piddly help in with him and watch him do awesome things. As we continue to move forward and take new ground together, there's going to be opposition. Satan hates it whenever the church, whenever God's people continue to press forward in the Lord. And I can guarantee you that as we do this, he's going to continue to attack the low parts of your wall. Those areas where you're most vulnerable, those areas where you are the most likely to fall and struggle and sin. And so if we're going to be effective for the Lord, what we need to do is we need to do what Nehemiah did. We need to start right now praying and preparing. We need to start praying and preparing. We need to seek the Lord and we need to set a guard at the low parts so that we can defend against the attack and the work can go on in his power. And so this morning as we close, I want you to just to take a moment with the Lord and I just want you to ask, I want you to think, I want you to check your own heart. What are the low places? What are the low places in your wall? Not your spouses, not your kids, not the pastor, not your other friends. What's the low place in your wall? 
you don't know, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. What sins and what struggles do you need help defending against? And I'm going to pray in just a moment. I want you to pray. Just right there in your seats. Just pray to you and the Lord. Just ask. Just ask for help. Don't wait until the temptation comes. Don't wait until you're already in the middle of the struggle. Don't wait until you've tried to defeat it on your own. Pray now. Seek the Lord now. And let him come and empower you to stand in those low places. And then this week, go to your small group and be honest and transparent. Say, listen, guys, this is where I struggle. I need you to lock arms with me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to stand with me so that we can continue to move forward together. Let's shore up the low places so that God can continue to do great and mighty things for his name through us, his people. Stand with me, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come before you now, God, and we're just so thankful again, Lord, just to be here in your presence. Lord, we've, we've already prayed multiple times in our service today, and sometimes I think it's so easy for us to just take for granted the fact that we get to talk with the almighty God. We get to talk with, with Yahweh, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Lord, the God who is above everything and everyone. And Lord, you're right here with us. God, we're so thankful that you love us, that you have called us into this relationship. Lord, thank you for surrounding us. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for saving us when we cry out to you. Father, we thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us to yourself, for calling us to your mission. And thank you, Lord, for not leaving us to do it alone. know. We painfully know that we need you. We need your help, Lord. We can't do this alone. Lord, we don't want to work in vain. We don't want to press forward in our own ideas and in our own ways. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to see you. We want to follow you, God. We are praying and we are crying out for your help today. Thank you, Lord, that you always are with us, that you're always fighting for us. So, Lord, today we pray we prepare and we ask Lord for you to shore up the low parts and the walls of our hearts God you know us you know that we are broken sinners that even on our best days we fall short so God we're asking you to supernaturally come shore up our low places, Lord. Give us give us your strength and your glory. Give us the power of your name. Give us the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to turn us away from our flesh and to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Lord, we want nothing more than to see you do great and mighty things in this our lives and in this church. We want to take new ground with you, God. 
lead us forward. We believe that you're with us. We believe you're always with us. Lord, lift up our eyes. Help us to persevere. Fight for us. Pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.